0: PyPy is a fast, compliant, alternative implementation of Python. CPython is implemented in C. PyPy is implemented in Python. What does that mean? And how do you test something as huge as an alternative implementation of Python? Let's find out. This episode is sponsored by Rollbar. Rollbar is the leading platform that enables developers to proactively discover and resolve issues in their code, allowing them to work on continuous code improvements throughout the software development lifecycle. Rollbar has plans for all situations, from free to large enterprise. With Rollbar, developers deploy better software faster and can quickly recover from critical errors as they happen. Learn more at Rollbar.com. Welcome to Test and Code. Well, welcome to Test and Code. Today I've got Carl on, and I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name, Carl. Hi, Brian.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a bit of a a tricky name for non-native speakers. It's uh, Bolzta.
0: What nationality is that
1: last name? Yeah, so it's, uh, I'm from Germany. I live in Duisburg, Germany, which is close to the Dutch border. And so it, the, the second half of my last name is actually sort of close to Dutch. It means off the oak. And okay. It's, that's the part that I get from my wife.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I've been, I've been to Germany several times, but usually around Munich. Uh, right. so that's a little, little bit different part of Germany. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Other than living in Germany, um, we're going to talk about PyPy a bit, but first, um, like, what do you do? What's some background about who Carl is?
1: Yeah, thank you. So, um, uh, yeah, I've been a PyPy core dev since 2005 when I was still a math student. And uh, it's a bit, I mean, 17 years is a bit of a ridiculous time span, but uh, I've been uh, involved since then. Uh, I work half time at a local university where I teach um, a Python introduction to non-CS majors. Um, oh, cool. and apart from that, I have two little kids who are two and five who I primarily take care of.
0: Okay. So non CS people. So who is that usually? I mean, it's this, it's this
1: elective that you can just sort of take out of interest. And, um, I get students from basically every major at the university, like medicine, um, all kinds of humanities. And, uh, of course, um. STEM people as well, Uh, like math and physics is is pretty common, Um, but it's, um, I mean, one could think that there wouldn't be so many humanities people there, but uh, it's actually, um, it has been pretty well accepted for for, like, philologists and philosophy majors and history majors and stuff like that.
0: That's awesome. I I have a, uh, my oldest daughter just finished uh, college and during her high school and college years, whenever we would have uh, other kids over i would encourage everybody uh all kids to take no matter what your major is to take uh to take at least one programming class and preferably right. python right yeah that i mean it's it's kind of the obvious language to take right so well it is now and that's pretty cool right. um Indeed. but the uh and i just tell them uh if i i try to convince them with money um if you've <laughs> because i said you don't need to be a programmer but if you are if it, all things being equal if somebody's thinking about hiring you um and somebody versus somebody exactly. else and you also can program that that potentially is a benefit to the employer so why not hire you right.
1: it's it's a pretty fun class to take right because since it's an elect uh, i mean to teach because it's since it's an elective you know that only motivated students will be there so uh, nobody has to take the class
0: and and, and that might oh, be a, really a lot of fun well man i'd love to dig into that sometime but um, but we want to talk about PiPi. So um, <laughs> um, you've been involved. I you said that in a, in an article in the article you wrote, which I'm going to refer to later and we'll link to, that uh, PiPi was from 2004, and you started like a year later. So it was pretty young in the project when you started. Right. I mean, it, it was still this. I mean, when I got started, it was already this relatively hip
1: thing. Um, so lots of buzz around it, and and people like. Talking about it at EuroPython and conferences, and, and having these sprints, and then uh, in in some semester break where I was a little bit fed up with my uh, math studies, uh, I decided to sort of check it out and, and do some coding, and then uh, started uh, like talking to them on the mailing list. And then pretty soon I, I got invited by Holger, actually Holger Crackle, who started Pytest, um, to like visit him during a weekend, and so I took the train and, and went to Hildesheim and met him, and we we did a week. Um, we spend a week weekend hacking on stuff and, and then I became became pretty involved very quickly and and, and in fact I uh, soon after I, I dropped out of university to uh, work for holger and um, yeah and they, they had this big um, chunk of EU funding at the time like research funding and with a couple of universities and a couple of uh, companies involved and so uh, holger's company malux employed me for a, a while to to be a like to do pipe full-time and that's kind of how I
0: got oh, wow. started. So, you, but you don't do PiPi full time now, do you? Um,
1: So I teach, and all the time that I—I I mean, I have a fifty percent contract, and so all the time that I don't spend teaching, I can work on PiPi, or I mean, basically whatever researchy things interest me. I'm—I I'm, um, yeah. mean, my official title is like research employee, um, and that means I have some amount of teaching that I'm supposed to do, and. Uh, apart from that i can do research things
0: nice okay
1: so i mean wow. there it's not it's not many many hours per week right but it's some and, and that's a pretty great situation
0: But okay so you've been well, you've been doing it for a while is are you sick of it yet or are you pretty excited <laughs> about PyPy still
1: yeah it's kind of it's it's it comes and goes i mean no i'm i'm, I'm overall i'm still pretty excited it, it has i mean some bits of the technology are really great some bits uh show their age a little bit right i think we'll we'll get into some of that later maybe but yeah. um, I still think it's a it's a relatively cool project uh, in the Python performance space, and despite a lot of newcomers, I think um, it gets a lot of the fundamentals really right and not um I'm not really that convinced that uh all of the new ones are there yet they they might be getting there but uh and uh, they still have to kind of show that. So,
0: what is PyPy?
1: Right, PyPy means Python in Python, right? And maybe we can we can be a little bit precise about terminology here because Python, uh, I mean, the term Python is really used to um, to mean two different things. On the one hand, it's Python the language, um, which like exists as an abstract entity somehow. But on the other hand, um, when we say py- Python, we quite often also mean like C Python, the, the default implementation that almost everybody uses. Uh, which yeah. um, in the beginning that was just called Python, but then when other implementations showed up, uh, people started using the term C Python because it's written in C to distinguish the two. Um, okay, so PyPy is um, it got started as this idea: well, Python is so great. Why is the language itself not like? Why don't we write the language in itself? Because it's it's we we all like the language and and. Obviously, we should also use it to implement the language that we all like, right? Um, yeah. And in the beginning, it wasn't really meant to be that this practical thing. But then, over over time, it, enough technology was sort of added to make it a, a really viable and, and fast practical implementation. So, um, a bit more concretely, what does it mean? We we are we ha- we have an implementation of uh, Python three point nine. We always lag a little bit behind C Python versions because. Uh, CPython has a lot more devs and and it's moving quickly, but we try to sort of fall not too far behind. Uh, So we implement uh, Python 3.9, and the language that we write this implementation in um, is is actually a subset of Python. And uh, this subset is called RPython for restricted Python. And it's a little bit weird because it's um, actually a subset of Python 2. And um, that, I mean for for somewhat annoying and uh, complicated reasons. but uh so um what does uh, i mean we we can talk about how rpython is restricted and it's restricted in such a way that you uh, an, a program is valid rpython if uh, we can infer all the types of all the variables that are um that appear in this this program um okay and um, that means we can take an, an R Python program and we can compile it to C. Since we can find out all the types in the program, um, we can take this R Python program and turn it into a C program, and then uh, use a C compiler to to turn it into a binary. And since so R- like in,
0: as an way, example in normal Python, mm-hmm. I can have x equals five, and then in the same function I can assign x to be a string with hello mm-hmm. in it. And in C, I can't do that. Is exactly. R Python like that? Um, yeah,
1: and, and R Python would say I cannot infer a single type for X. Okay. Um like five and a and string aren't compatible, and so I refuse to compile the, to try to compile the program to see. It. Okay. Got it. And I mean nowadays we would probably use like type annotations, but when we got started, those weren't around yet. So it's all inferred. And, okay. Um, right. So so uh, where are we? We we have this Python implementation in our Python. We can compile it to C, and then afterwards we have an interpreter for Python uh, in C again, right? A little bit like c Yeah. And so so what's the difference? Like the interesting bit is that while we take our implementation for Python and compile it to C, we can sort of insert automatically a new component, and this comp- component is a just-in-time compiler for the language um, Python that our uh, implementation uh, can run and um, this is kind of this is kind of the thing that really makes PyPy interesting because writing an interpreter in a slightly weird language is not really that different from writing like writing it in C right but the fun part is that um, since uh, since we can insert this JIT comp- compiler we we in the end get an implementation of Python that is significantly more perform- uh, performant
0: than C Python is. Okay. Now, just to be clear, the Python that I, the Python three 9 that I write, that I can have, or the Python 3.9 syntax mm-hmm. that I can have, PyPy run, mm-hmm. that Python doesn't have to be in our Python. That's right. just normal yeah. Python. Okay. Right. So, so
1: the the Python language is really an implementation detail somehow. Right?
0: Yeah. Okay. You, so you could but- also imagine
1: that we do it in in Java or, or something.
0: So the user of PyPy doesn't have to care about that. It just Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. However, we do have to care about some stuff. Um so we uh it doesn't do everything that normal Python does, is that correct?
1: Um Yeah, that's a I mean, it's supposed to basically behave exactly like normal Python as long as you write pure Python code, right? And then right. um it gets a little bit more complicated when you're trying to write, uh, use C extension. because nowadays you can use a lot of C extensions, but we don't really support the full uh, C API that C Python supports. So we oh, okay. emulate it. We, and we emulate like maybe 80% of it, but um, yeah, uh,
0: there's some, there's some func- C functions that we don't completely support. Okay. So like one of the most, well, I guess a popular one is stuff like NumPy. Um, right. Is that something that's been converted and usable in PyPy? Yeah, or do uh, I... yeah. and NumPy
1: has been, like, uh, NumPy works. And okay. uh, it's been this kind of mixture. We've, we've been adding C API functions that NumPy needs, and also changing NumPy a little bit <laughs> to make okay. it not use the ones that we don't have that are very hard to
0: add. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, okay. So just, uh, uh, going to, uh, well, we want to get to testing a little bit, but I know, <laughs> yeah, um, but, but I want to ask a, a little bit. Um, if, if this is Python three, nine, it runs out most stuff, except for some, you, you gotta be careful on some C extensions maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but what sort of things would somebody use PyPy for that I, the over normal C Python? Right.
1: Um, I mean, so what we always say is that um if you have performance problem in Python and you're not super dependent on lots and lots of C engines, then it's a very cheap thing to try um to just run the program in Python uh, in, in PyPy and see whether performance improves. And uh in a lot of situations it does, right? So there are a lot of um if if you really have very algorithmic and sort of doing lots of uh numbery things. And then it's it's quite cheap to just uh, replace the Python uh, command with the PyPy command, and uh, the program should behave the same. And ideally, it, it just runs a lot faster. Um, of course, okay. it depends uh, a lot, and sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes it's not faster, but uh, it's definitely a cheap experiment that you can uh, try if yeah, if you have something that that, that is mainly algorithmic and
0: uh, should be faster somehow. Okay, so since you since it does comply with this three point nine mm-hmm. spec, um, any any valid Python three point nine program should work. I mean, if right. it's, especially pure Python stuff, right?
1: And um, basically, if it doesn't, then um, it could be a bug, right? Um, I mean, if if some pure Python doesn't work, just submit an issue and we will fix it. Um, if it's not faster, we also consider those bugs, right? If you have some pure Python code that, um, that, uh, you think should just be like, you have a JIT compiler. It should be, it should run this much more quickly. Then you can also just file an issue and we, uh, will look into it and try to figure out what, uh, what's going on and, and why we can't execute it as quickly as, uh, one would hope
0: well and hopefully somebody that's trying this out would run their very complete test suite against right uh, both yes. their their code on both for packages right
1: yeah and uh, and we see that increasingly people are doing that and and just add PyPy to their github ci runners um pipi is available on um github actions so it's not that complicated oh, wow. to add it uh yeah they always they have always slightly old versions so uh that's one uh, of PyPy that's sometimes a little bit annoying. And the other thing is that um PyPy is actually worse at running tests because the JIT is really good at uh running things that you do a lot, right? I mean it's oh, really yeah. good at speeding up loops, for example. But if you if you if you have unit tests, then you mostly run every code just once, right? <laughs> and yeah. um that's kind of like the worst case for a JIT compiler. <laughs> and, um, and then, if you add coverage, for example, it gets even worse because coverage is also kind of a bad case for the okay. Um So, the, I mean, it's actually some. Let's like one of the things that I want to work on this year is sort of trying to get uh, the developer experience when using PyPy to be a little bit better. Um, because yes, we we often get this feedback. Oh, I've I've tried to add it to the runner, and it's four times slower than CPython. Am I doing something wrong? Is PyPy broken? Um, but yeah, I mean, basically tests aren't really great benchmark
0: right. Like you said, with a, a very, an idealized test suite would validate every bit of your code once. Um, so yeah. And, and and, I mean, already
1: every test function runs exactly once, right? Uh, Unless it's like parameterized or something. Um, so that's, that's where the problems already start.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um one of the things we want to talk about is testing of PyPy because mm-hmm. I if I wanna use it, I'm gonna trust that it's being well tested. And it's you guys test the heck out of this thing. Um so what is the testing story around PyPy?
1: Yeah, I mean sort of historically it's been really deeply sort of ingrained in the culture of the project. So when, when the project was started, um there was all this extreme programming and, and agile agile software development. They were super hip and just sort of getting started and like tdd and um and the people that started the project um really liked uh, some of these approaches and sort of tried to develop the project in a test-driven development uh style right from the start and wow. um yeah we, we mentioned it really briefly earlier but uh holger Krickel, who was one of the uh, founders of pipi um got annoyed. I mean, when the project started, we were using unit test. But then the devs got annoyed by the shortcomings of unit tests that I don't really need to tell you about. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, Holger, out of that frustration, started PyTest. And so um,
0: and that's the history of where the dot came from. Because so when I started using PyTest, so there was a discrepancy of whether or not there was a dot with. Right, I dot test or Pytest? Yeah,
1: there was a Pylib originally, which which just had the like import Py. That that was a little bit of a, a weird yeah. decision uh, in in hindsight, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, but uh, yeah. yeah, so historically, the project were projects were quite intertwined, and and one of the funding rounds also explicitly had like money for both for improving PyPy, as well as uh, like making Pytest better. Oh, nice. Um, okay. Okay, so um, yeah, so so that's kind of sort of um, it's basically deep. What I was trying to say is that the idea of, the idea of testing is is culturally deeply embedded in, in how the project has been operating.
0: Yeah, let's pause for a, I want to ask a question about that because it's really amazing this this story of using TDD and and uh, you you mentioned in the article even uh, pair programming. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Is that this is something difficult with an open source project and in 2004 it would have been very difficult right unless you guys were sitting right next to each other
1: yeah so um, um it, one interesting bit of about piper is that it's a, a fairly european project and um it got started by really by um, at a sprint at a um the place where holger lived he lived in this uh big uh house with uh lots of People in there, and so he invited a couple of um, European uh, Python developers to come there for a week and sort of have a sprint and and uh, do TDD and pair programming to get the interpreter off the ground. And okay. then for a while, um, they were really mainly meeting at conferences and like having sprint days after that. Um, and um, okay, so pair yeah.
0: programming during sprints totally makes sense yeah. and is probably a great way to go. Right. Um, I mean, as, as it, it has been a super
1: uh, useful uh, thing to do for the product because it's a it's a great way to get newcomers um, like involved and started.
0: Yeah. Um, so is that still the case? Is PiPi developed? Well, I mean, still... during the pandemic,
1: <laughs> it hasn't yeah. been the case, right? Okay. But uh, so until like two or three years ago, we were still having sprints like yearly or or um, for a week or or maybe twice or three times a year, and but. Uh, mainly in Europe and sometimes after PyCon, um, and I mean it's it's a bit of a mixed thing, right? I mean because you need to you need to be able to to travel there and, and then afford to to stay at one of these places, which um, is not really true for everybody. But right, um,
0: okay. So you guys weren't doing remote somehow remote it's, programming. I anymore. still
1: think that uh, we do this more often than say CPython. Um okay. For example, when we have newcomers and somebody really gets uh, invested and interested, I, I'm trying. I'm always trying to find some time to like pair with them for half a day to really get them started, because wow. I find that it's it's a much more efficient way for for new people to sort of get into how we do things than just sort of having very randomly figure things out on their own. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess, and even. Uh projects that I mean even a co- corporate projects that don't don't normally do pair programming that's a they don't call it that but that happens all the time new person comes on um, they're confused about some code so you you spend quite a bit of time just looking at code together and talking about it so, Right,
1: yeah I mean I can uh, really recommend it um, even I mean for open source projects because it's a it's just a very efficient way to like get somebody started and, and get over this initial hump of I'm lost and confused and don't know anything, right? Uh, which yeah. which can be a very frustrating uh, experience when you're when you're trying to get into something new.
0: Okay, so uh, aside from that, so that's um, so that's some, some cool history around it. But there's all what are the different ways that PyPy is tested? Then you've got um, you mentioned a few in the article,
1: right? Um, so actually, when I was writing the article, I, I kept coming up with more and more, but uh, sort of, <laughs> uh, and we yeah. Um, the, the two main ones that, um, sort of I learned when I joined the project that are still around, um, are interpreter level tests and application level tests. And the ideas of, of these two is that, um, so the interpreter is written in R Python, which is based on Python 2. So you can write unit tests for all the logic and the classes and the algorithms in the interpreter by writing just completely regular PyTest, um, test files that just directly access um, these things as Python code, right? It's just Python code. So you write some Pytest uh, based on Python two uh, functions that just unit test, okay. um, and and so that's that's relatively straightforward. But uh, it's something that doesn't really have an equivalent in, in C Python because in C Python there is no unit test that that uses a C based unit testing framework. Right? Okay, um, and which which would kind of be the equivalent because the um, um. Yeah, it, it it's code that really runs at the level of the implementation, which in C Python would be C, and for us it's Python two.
0: Pytest doesn't support Python two anymore. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, is, we, is that an issue? It's we we vendored the last version basically. Um, oh, okay, that makes sense. You have an example that of of an example unit test for Py for PyPy mm-hmm. uh, of testing uh, interpreter level testing hash. So these are at least in this example this is a pretty simple case. Uh this isn't right. using a whole bunch of complicated pytest stuff.
1: Right. Yeah and and indeed we don't. Like I mean um a lot of them, the the sort of very modern pytest uh features um like fixtures and so on um they didn't really exist when we started. <laughs> and so we 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 use a, a relatively old style of um of pytest. Uh Usage. Right, but it's still
0: right. still fairly. I mean, some okay. So back in back in the day, it's still like a, a test function with test underscore something, right. and you do some code and put some asserts right. in there. It's yeah, one absolutely. of the beauties of Py, you can still do that, and it's one of the beauties of pytest is that right. it's very easy to read. So. Exactly, and you can write nice
1: asserts and don't need to use obscure methods. And um, yeah,
0: yeah, nice.
1: Right. So, so that's one, that's one thing. That's that, and we use that style, particularly if we want to use, uh, if we want to write unit tests that sort of, um, access the internals of some object that, um, that occurs in the interpreter, right? So if we really want to make sure that, oh, if you call this function, this happens and, uh, you can inspect this attribute to make sure that the, the state is set up exactly right and, and that kind of, um, and then the other style of, um, uh, of tests that we have is, is called an application level test. And it's called that because it, it runs on the same level as the application that our interpreter is running. And that means um, it's written in Python 2 and it, uh, in Python 3, and it runs on top of PyPy, right? And it okay. runs on, on top of PyPy in a very specific way because we um, PyPy is a, a Python program. I mean, we can also bootstrap it to C, but we can also just run it as a Python program. So we run these tests kind of by running this stack. Uh, At the bottom, we have a Python 2 implementation, which runs PyPy, the Python program. And on top, we run the application level test. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we do that if we, um, uh, every time we can, right? Because those are much easier to understand and and much easier um, sort of to, um, yeah, to see what they're doing, because they do not access all uh, any of the internals of the objects. In, they they cannot, right? They're just regular yeah. Python code. So in order to, to test, like, the hash of an int, you would really say, um, I don't know, assert that the hash of 42 is 42.
0: Okay.
1: And, is it? Um, yeah, go ahead.
0: Is that the hash for 42? Yeah, it um, is. Okay, it is. yeah. I would fail my hash uh, my that test and yeah
1: I mean that that's an implementation detail right it's it's a very it's a very precise way to test the hash I mean somehow okay. some of the property that you want your hash to fulfill is not that precise but um,
0: yeah but yeah right uh, but the so a couple of things like uh, it, we're, were interesting in that in that discussion uh, to me the that you would. Um, at first, it was surprising to me. It would make make sense to want to run the tests in the in, a, in a, uh, just a, on top of Python mm-hmm. uh, because, like for instance, you could if there was a failure, you could step through it easier that way, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, that,
1: that's one of the fun things. Um, so, if you have a crash, something that would be a sec fault in C Python, um, if you're running uh, PyPy like in this interpreted mode where it's running on top of some other Python implementation. Um, you can just use your regular um, pdb on the underlying, uh, Python in order to sort of see where things go horribly wrong, and yeah. you can use all the you can all use all the tools that you sort of uh, know and understand um, in order to
0: okay. debug the problem. And the other part that was surprising to me was that that's not the only way to run PyPy, That pipi is uh bootstrap to C? Is that is that the normal way people run PyPy? Is a
1: Yeah, I mean if you like if you wanna test it, you don't want to bootstrap it first, because the bootstrap is a relatively like this whole type inference thing that we talked about earlier and, and the JIT insertion, yeah. that's a relatively time consuming pro- process. So that's one of the one of the annoying properties of PyPy is that compiling it to C takes quite a while, like thirty five minutes or something. And so you don't wanna wait for that until you can run unit tests. So we wanna run it in this double interpretation mode but okay, uh,
0: what am but what am i compiling to c Am I right compiling the the pypy uh to c or my my application no you um
1: you're it's it's basically very similar to um how you how you make the c python binary you okay. run some progress have some process and at the end you get a binary that um,
0: okay it's uh, it's the right. okay it's the got interpreter it.
1: you don't you don't you never need to compile your application to okay um, the, got it. I mean that part is relevant if you want to work on PyPy.
0: With I would it probably was obvious to everybody else who's
1: No no uh, I mean I think I mean the, PyPy is a little bit complicated because we're not used to sort of having Python on all the levels of the stack. So um, <laughs> yeah.
0: just just please interrupt me. Um Yeah. If yeah. yeah. So one of the things I think is interesting is the um that you also take advantage of the the CPython test suite.
1: Mm-hmm. Right so I mean, the the two the two uh, levels we talked about so far, interpreter level tests and app level tests, are things we write ourselves during the development process, and we choose the two depending on whether we need to sort of look into objects or not. And but then we also have the CPython test suite in the background, which CPython is using t- uh, when they're developing new features. And and if a new feature is added in CPython, they add tests that. Uh, make sure that the feature works. And if they fix a bug, they also add a test that shows that something is broken. And so we use this existing C-Python test suite sort of as a as a kind of compliance test suite that we can sort of
0: yeah.
1: uh, use to find out whether we're implementing the whole language correctly.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, but, yeah, go ahead. But, it, but it's interesting that, that you point out in the article that there's some issues with that. Um, right,
1: because, I mean... Um, it's not like there's no standard body for, for Python, right? So uh, the, the test suite is really just whatever CPython uh, found useful in its development gets added as a test. But not all of these tests are really perfectly useful for us for, for like a couple of reasons. One of them is that they're really very, very precise about some things, like, for example, error messages. Mm, okay. And that's sometimes a little bit annoying because we need to sort of replicate every little detail about every error message. <laughs> um even though error messages are sort of kind of explicitly taken out of uh what what a, a valid Python implementation needs to sort of do. Right. right. Um and the other thing is we, we, we didn't really talk about that yet, but uh one of the sources of difference in PyPy and CPython is that CPython uses reference counting to uh, delete its uh like objects that are no longer used. And PyPy doesn't. PyPy has a like proper quote unquote garbage collector and that means things that have a underscore underscore __del__ method um get collected later than in c python like c python can yeah. directly discover if like a file goes out of scope like if you like you don't use a with block um the file still gets closed if it goes out of scope in c python right yeah and for us it doesn't for us it only gets um uh, closed uh, when the garbage collector runs next oh. and okay. um some of the CPython tests rely on that, so there are some CPython tests that basically open a file and then check that it was closed successfully uh, automatically. And uh, in PyPy, that doesn't happen, and then um, you need to basically insert calls to GC collect to make sure that the PyPy garbage collector has a chance to catch up. Um, okay.
0: Right. Interesting. And
1: I mean, in, in real, in like in in real Python code, you would just use a with block nowadays. Uh, I mean that's that's the correct yeah. and and proper way to do it anyway, but uh, in Python they have tests to make sure that even if you don't, it still works. Right?
0: Okay, so if I'm using the no- the normal way to use exactly open files with a with block now, mm-hmm. um, if if I use that in PyPy, it'll close it after right. the with block. Absolutely, process. yeah. Okay, it's just awesome if you write
1: bad code and say open and there's there's no close and no with block then. Um, mm. It's it might stick around for a while. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, um, right, but I mean, the the C Python devs. Uh, I'm really thankful for that. They have been really great about fixing these things. So, okay. um, basically, we have a patched version of the standard lib, which which has a, a fairly small amount of like uh, patches applied on top. And some of the patches are in the test suite, and occasionally people. I mean, sometimes we submit it ourselves as pull requests, but then also sometimes people. Show up and and say, oh, what are the differences? Where do we need to insert, uh, like collect calls? And uh, a couple of tests have been declared uh, implementation dependent. So the standard lib test suite has a has a decorator now that says, this test is really too precise and too obscure, and uh, other implementations don't have to pass it. And then and you can apply a C Python only decorator to that.
0: Oh, that's um, nice. Right? Yeah. Wait, Spark a C. An implementation detailed decorator. I didn't know unit test had imp- decorators.
1: Uh, no, no, that's part of the. It's part of the uh, the test support module that uh, CPython has. That's oh, okay. built on built on top of unit test. It's not. It's not part of the the regular unit test module. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, CPython has a, a huge amount of their own testing infrastructure. Um, in, in really test support. support.
0: Yeah, ah, so, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, for example, they
1: they also have this this test C extension module that that exists only, that like that doesn't get installed uh, if you if you install a Python interpreter, it's like underscore test C API module or something like that, hmm. and uh, they use that to sort of make sure that some of the de- like to kind of write unit tests for,
0: uh, yeah, for for some of the C APIs, and then we've got. Like one of the reasons why I'd use PyPy is because it's faster. So you have testing to make sure it stays faster, right? Right, exactly. Uh,
1: and and that is actually pretty difficult. And we were sort of kind of bad about that for a lot, quite a while. I mean, so I mean there are a couple of approaches to test performance, and um, sometimes you can write a unit test for it. I'm not sure whether you ever used this approach, uh, but. One thing that I occasionally do is like if, if I implement some kind of shortcut that's supposed to be faster in some that's only applicable to some situations, I write a unit test that, make, that is supposed to take the shortcut, but then I monkey patch out the regular slow path. And that way I know <laughs> that the regular slow path isn't taken in this specific case where the shortcut should apply. So, I
0: think that's a brilliant hack that I've never thought of before. Right. Uh, of, you you could use monkey patch or mocking to, to right, basically exactly. yeah. stub out the part that you're not using exactly. to make if to make it break if you got there. Mm-hmm. Or you could even throw an assert in there or something. Exactly. Like that. And then
1: and then basically if if you hit the the slow general path, then you know that the shortcut isn't working properly. And interesting. Um, so 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 that's one one thing we we do quite regularly. But then the real thing that we have, which is a is a bit different than uh, many unit tests, is that we have unit tests that check that if you have a small snippet of Python code and you run it on top of PyPy, then the JIT will produce machine code for it. And we have tests that make sure that um, the machine code for that snippet is in a very precise shape. Right? And we don't we, we don't really want to check the assembler instructions because those always like change a little bit and they would be really brittle. Um, so we do, that, and it would also be machine dependent, of course. So uh, the unit tests would work differently between like x86 and ARM, which we both support. Um, so those tests work like one level up. The JIT has this um, thing called an intermediate representation, which is like a machine independent representation of machine code. And we can kind of dump that. And um, then we have tests that check that for some Python code, if you run it, the JIT will produce this kind of uh, intermediate representation. Okay. And uh, we do it for stuff like, oh, let's make sure that if you have an, a class where uh, some attribute is write only, right? Um, it's, it's only like it's immute, like some attribute of, of some class is uh, immutable. We observe that it's, that it's always immutable. We we want to be able to constant fold reads out of that, that attribute. And we want to make sure that we have a test that the JIT can still
0: do this kind of reasoning. That's a, it's an interesting way that you put that so you're even though you're testing in essentially kind of testing implementation you're not even though you're using the intermediate language which seems like it would be testing implementation you're not really you're testing the behavior of it you're testing like in this case that you've created a constant out of something that right would have been a variable
1: yeah exactly and then then basically the test would say oh um it's supposed to be a constant here, but I'm really seeing that it's that it's a variable that you read out of something, and that that something is the instance. So that means that the uh, the JIT couldn't track that the instance is uh, immutable, and uh, something broke. Interesting, um, and yeah. But they also they're I mean they're super useful. They catch really bad problems like very regularly, but they're also a little bit brittle because sometimes um, there are sort of changes in the Intermediate representation that are OK, right? That don't really, yeah. that are equivalent and, and sort of equivalently efficient, but slightly different. And yeah. um, so those are, are kind of high maintenance tests. We um, we need to sort of look after them quite regularly.
0: Yeah. So that's, a, and I guess that's a good, a good lesson for everybody that there are some, there's sometimes where you've got um, high value tests that are high maintenance also. Um, exactly. It's the low, the high maintenance low value ones that you want to get rid of right uh, yeah. But, yeah
1: yeah and, and then I mean the other thing that we do to track performance that's not really completely automated is um, um, this website called speed.pypy.org. and that's kind of like an, an integration test uh, sort of thing, and uh, there we nightly uh, every night we run our benchmark suit on a, which contains a, a bunch of benchmarks. And sort of we have okay. these graphs, how the performance changes over time. Um, and then basically when we see that there's this huge dip uh, in some benchmark, um, on some day we, um, we can sort of look into what changed that day to figure out what,
0: like, what we broke. Interesting. So did you guys come up with the benchmarks or are these some sort of standard benchmark?
1: Uh, I mean, we collected the benchmarks and they have been relatively widely adopted, I think, is now okay. speed.python.org, which is using like a fork of that benchmark set, I think, okay. um, and it's also using a more uh, like a, a more modern version of the same software that shows the performance over time.
0: Well, it's interesting because like I'm, I'm looking through a few of them are things like there's uh, some suites around uh, using Twisted. Mm -hmm. Um, which I just uh, uh, interviewed Glyph recently, so that's interesting. Um, And then things like uh, SQL Alchemy, making sure that that, some of those changes. And Sphinx, yeah, Yeah. interesting.
1: SQL Alchemy and Sphinx are actually one of our uh, bad benchmarks (laughs) there. There's areas for improvements, like um, well,
0: well, Django's in there. How's Django do? Django's
1: doing pretty pretty well. I mean, so we have some okay. we have some people that are deploying Django on PyPy because it, a lot of things are uh, quite good. For example, um, for example, um, something that we do pretty well on is uh, all kinds of templating, right? Because string string manipulation is something that we that we optimize uh, relatively well.
0: Okay, and there's a lot of that in templates. So, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean,
1: it's it's this is not a pass or fail thing that tells you automatically. It's just you need to look at it.
0: And um,
1: it, well, it's, it's also, also kind also, of,
0: yeah, go ahead. It's cool that it's public so that somebody can go, well, I mean, yeah, I could just try it out and see if my application is faster. But if also just curious if the thing I'm using is also being tested already. Right. But in,
1: in the end, you need to do that, though, right? I mean, there's... Yeah. I mean, no benchmark is really representative of of what you're doing, and so nothing really, nothing really um, comes close to just uh, uh, trying the thing that you really care about, which is your own code. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that makes sense, and but and I also I think it's interesting that you you mentioned that it's still it's not a the benchmarks aren't really a pass or fail; it's a way for people to keep track of it. And like, look at it. And yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: sometimes it's also this kind of—it's a bit of a judgment call, right? For example, um, not every optimization is able to to improve everything, and so sometimes we have cases like, oh, this optimization makes um, almost all of our benchmarks fifty percent faster, and like this is an extreme example, right? But uh, almost all of them are a lot faster, but there's one that is
0: ten percent slower. Right? right. So and then. Right. Yeah. Would you? T- is that a good thing or a bad thing? Then at that point, right? exactly so-
1: right. And then, then you need to then you need human judgment to decide: do we want it? And then you sort of need to uh, look at: is is the ten percent case like really common? Do we expect it to occur all the time, or is the fifty percent? And it also um, depends on the numbers, of course, right? So yeah. if it's if it's five percent and fifty percent, you probably want it. But if it's like five percent and five percent, then you might not want it. So yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that 's kind of interesting about benchmark suite is that they use they lose their usefulness over time, so um, we add new benchmarks and then we work on them and they get better but sort of it 's this convergence process, and at some point we aren 't able to improve them anymore, and then something useful to do is is to add a whole bunch of new benchmarks um,
0: oh so so, the, so why why would why would that be useful so that you can uh... Well, you you want to add things
1: that you're that you're not so great so far at optimizing, right? I mean, of course, you can also add things that that you already know you're good at, but uh, what's more interesting is to sort of add things where you uh, where you observe that um, C++ is is quite a bit better, right? And then, well, and then
0: you have to then you have to do a research
1: project to figure out why exactly. Right? Now okay. we then, then we need to look into things, and and quite often we can then add optimizations to fix those cases, particularly if the, like if it's something that we judge to be common.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. The, one of the things I was thinking about is um, you started working on, on this as a a student mm-hmm. um, and you are working at a university now. Mm-hmm. Is, is this a primarily, is this a project that opens, is it an open source project that other people can work on? Or is it just a, is it just a university thing?
1: No, no, it's, I mean, it had a really intense research phase, but um, now it's really much more in the, let's, I mean, it has always, it has always been an open source project that, that people were super welcome to join, um, but it had this, like, it had this research component, right? Particularly okay. the whole JIT generation thing is was relatively researchy and still is a little bit researchy. But um, it is definitely an open source project and we we're definitely happy to, like, have people contribute. And I would also argue that it's um, not as tough to get into as one could sort of think at uh, first uh, sight, because, uh, like, for a couple of reasons. One of them is it's all Python, right? I mean, you you know this stuff, right? So in CPython, one of the hurdles, if you want to get involved, is you need to learn this whole other language, which isn't really that friendly. And sure, you can still work on the standard library, but if you want to get into the language core, you, you really need to learn. Something that's very different and, and um, really unfriendly in many ways. And it, in PyPy, all this stuff is written in slightly weird Python, but still just Python that you can apply all the Python tools that you that you know. Yeah. Um, and the other thing why it, it's relatively uh, com- uh, friendly to get into is that it's quite well com- com- uh, compartmentalized, right? Because um, the JIT Thing, the JIT component is completely separate from from the interpreter, right? that gets added almost completely automatically. So um, you can work on the interpreter, and it's really quote unquote just an interpreter, and um, you don't really need to care about the fact that there's this this weird component that that does special stuff to make everything fast. Most of the time, uh, you you you're just concerned with getting the behavior correct, uh, and okay. you can focus on that. And you don't really need to know how this. I mean, you you can use the the JIT thing as a black box that you don't really need to think about.
0: Okay. Now, how about is Mercurial kind of a hurdle for anybody that wants to get started? That
1: is true. So that that's actually a discussion we're having because I mean we are on a fork of uh, GitLab, right? So if you if you've used GitLab, it, it looks familiar, but it's a fork of GitLab that uh, some company has been working on that. Supports Mercurial instead of Git. So Mercurial is like uh, getting less used nowadays, like now that C button is no longer on it. And yeah, many, many projects are moving away from it. So yeah. that is a bit of a
0: hurdle. And um, unfortunately, yeah, I think it's the Betamax story. Well, yeah, a little
1: bit. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're, it's definitely something we're discussing. And it's, I mean, we are definitely interested in, in people like. Joining us and, and uh, getting into it and helping out and if uh, somebody's interested, feel free to also just contact both the mailing list or me personally. I'm I'm always he- happy to
0: like talk to people and um. So, uh, PyPy is a is a three implementation. Three ten is you you mentioned that it's a, it's always a little behind. But is there a is there like a is it usually just one behind? Is that the goal? Is to is to be. Like like when three eleven comes out, you guys will be up to three ten sort of thing, or
1: yeah, that would be good. I think one behind is is kind of something that is relatively acceptable because most people aren't really doing cutting edge C Python things all the time, right? Yeah. Um, so there were basically different phases for a while. We were we were sort of falling behind more and more, and I spent quite a bit of effort in the last year to sort of try to get us to be much closer to where C Python is. Um. And, yeah, right now, I think we have a little bit, like, uh, we can catch our breath a little bit, right? (laughs) Because we're just one behind. And uh, 3.10 is also, I mean, sometimes there are these CPython versions that are just absolutely massive. And 3.10 is sort of this intermediate thing. It it has some new features, but it doesn't feel as huge as, for example, 3.8 did. Um, And so this year, I want to, like, focus on some other things. Like for example, I I was talking about coverage being super extra slow on PyPy, and that's one thing that I would kind of look into to just make it slightly less annoying to uh, to <laughs> add a, to to add a PyPy runner on your uh, GitHub
0: actions. It's on the server as long as it's done by the time my lunch break's over. I'm good. <laughs> right. Anyway, well, this has been very interesting. I I I'm glad that you reached out to me to to talk yeah, about th- this. Thanks this so much for having great. me. Yep. Um. And uh, good luck with, uh, with raising kids <laughs> <laughs> and with Pi-Pi and
1: everything. No, it's, it's great. They're, they're, they're really great.
0: Thank you, Carl. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Rollbar. With Rollbar, developers deploy better software faster. Learn more at rollbar.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You know, I regularly thank Patreon supporters, but that really doesn't seem like enough. What they do seems small, but it's really huge. I can see the download counts of each episode to see how many people are listening to the show, and that's great. But to know that some of you are willing to give a buck or two per episode just to keep this thing going, that's really huge, and it has a huge effect on me. So thank you. But also, every listener, I hope you get value from the show, or at least find it interesting. If either, consider sharing it with a friend or two and help the show grow. Show notes and links are at testandcode.com. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Take care.